wow, I hardly feel like I need to get up this morning and speak. What a message through those videos. What a message through these baptisms. Darby, I love watching you sing, sweetheart. I wish y'all could have been standing right there watching what me and Bailey were watching as she sang, Oh, How I Love You. You see, that's what we gather to do. That's what a body of believers does. It's so overwhelmed with who God is. It's so overwhelmed with what God has done. We gather together because there's nowhere else that we would want to be than right here in this place praising Jesus Christ for what he's done. We live in a world that struggles with ungratefulness. And I wish I could say it was just the outside world, but even within the church, we struggle to live lives where we are truly grateful for all that has been given to us. In all the years that I've pastored, one thing that I've seen true, unfortunately, time and again, is that it seems for mankind that once a man finally gets what he wants, he never comes back. If you don't believe it, then you're going to have a hard time accepting what it is that the scripture teaches us today about ten men who were in desperate need. About ten men whose lives were ruined, whose lives were broken, who lived in loneliness and hopelessness. And out of ten men who met Jesus one day, who Jesus healed, who Jesus blessed, who Jesus changed everything for them, what we find in this story is that out of ten men, only one came back to the feet of Jesus, overwhelmingly grateful. You see, as we look at our culture today, we find that we have trouble. We see children and teenagers that are ungrateful to parents. But before we bash on teenagers, we see many, many adults that are ungrateful to others. And we know that we find at times that we really struggle to live a life that tells the Lord, that shows the Lord that we are deeply grateful for all that he has done for us. It's like the man who got lost in the woods. And if you've ever been lost in the woods, you know how desperate that feels. And and all of his desperation and all of his being frightened and scared to death of whether he would ever get out of there it says that the man finally got on his knees and he prayed and someone asked, well, did God answer your prayer? And the man's reply was, oh no, before God got a chance to answer, a guide came along and showed me the way out. That's how most of us see life. We pray and we ask, and it's not even the only story in Scripture. Where men have asked of God and God responds in all of his loving kindness and his grace and his mercy. And yet it seems that we remain unmoved by his guidance, unmoved by his hand, unmoved by the blessings that he's poured out on us. And so this morning, I want us to learn the lessons out of this story of the ten lepers. I'm glad we're doing this today because I actually didn't get to teach this when we went through Luke. I was gone. I don't know who got to teach it, but it wasn't me. And so I'm glad to be able to get back to it this morning and teach this text because it is a wonderful text that challenges us. 
And it begins in verse 11 of Luke chapter 17. And it says, while he, meaning Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem. See, Jesus was on a mission. He cared about the souls of men. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, took on flesh, dwelt among us, and lived an obedient life to the Lord that we could never live fully and in every way obeying God the Father. And he was on his way to Jerusalem because he wanted to save mankind. Let me make it a little more personal. He wanted to save you. And he wanted to save me. And he looked back in history and he looked forward in history and he saw all of mankind and out of God's love he sent his son and his son and his love for us went to a cross. He went to Jerusalem because it was there that he would die. And it was there that he would be buried and it was there that he would be raised again. But you see, Jesus had this way of Anywhere he was, everywhere he was, wherever there was death, wherever there was disease, wherever there was sickness, you see, Jesus, it's like he almost couldn't help himself. He had to heal, didn't he? When he walked up on a funeral and he saw the grieving mother with compassion in his heart, you see the heart of God, where out of death he wanted there to be life. And that's why he came. And as he's going to Jerusalem to give of himself, to be our sacrifice, to take our place. It says that he came to a region that was a contested kind of a hot region because it was where the Jews and the Samaritans, where the lines were in the sand. See, the Jews considered themselves to be God's people, but the Samaritans were a mixed breed of people where basically they began to have and intermarry and, and they began to have children with those that weren't of the covenant. So the Samaritans were looked at as half-breeds. They weren't accepted by the Jews. They had their own place to worship. And yet, right here on this line between the Jews and the Samaritans, we find an interesting thing that happened. It simply says that as he was going to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance, they met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten who were cleansed? But the nine? Let this question penetrate. Where are they? Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. And I love this statement. Your faith has made you well. You know what that actually says? Your faith has saved you. Let 
You see, this morning, I want you to see that these men, they shared a common misfortune. It wasn't common necessarily in the numbers of people, a majority of people that would get this disease, but it was common to this group of men. Jesus walking into the village comes upon these friends that have gathered, and, and they're not like any set of friends that you and I would think of that would come to mind when we think of groups of people. These were men that had become friends because of a dreaded disease that they had. Leprosy is described as death by inches. Today we know it as Hansen's disease. And what began as a discoloration of the skin soon became ulcerated places, usually on the ends of the limb, sometimes in the mouth, sometimes on the face. And usually the hands and feet and the face were the places that it affected most. Highly contagious once you got it. You were considered, and think about this, unclean. Nothing mattered more than the, to the Jews than being clean. Because to be clean meant that you could go and you could worship the Lord. If you were unclean, you couldn't stand before the presence of the Lord. So you have to understand the implications of this leprosy. It's why leprosy is so often compared to sin. In Scripture, we think of leprosy and we think of sin because our sin does to us what it did to them. It made them unclean. And so they couldn't go to the temple to worship. They couldn't go and sing the songs with believers. They couldn't go and bring their gifts to the altar. And because they were considered unclean, you have to understand that these men shared a misery. That literally they had to go around and they had to tear their clothes. The Bible literally says in Leviticus that they could not approach another person. It didn't say how close they could get, but somebody made up the rule eventually that you had to be 50 yards away. Think about that for a second. There's your child. You can't hug them. You can't hold them. You can't pray for them. And right there with them, could you imagine not being able to do those things with your child? With your spouse? That literally as they sat there in the streets, they tore their clothes so that people could identify them. That's why it says that many times the lepers were seen in rags. They would keep their distance and whenever people would approach, you know what they would have to yell? Unclean. Unclean. You see, it wasn't the disease that made leprosy so horrible, though the disease is absolutely horrible. Literally, the digits and the t I mean, will fall off and the eyebrows and, and literally your nose and other things can just literally begin to decay and fall off. And, and folks, the disease was horrible enough. But the separation that that disease caused, oh my goodness. The loneliness, the brokenness. And something crazy happened. That in their desperation, 
in this season of their life where they are outcast. You know what? It suddenly didn't matter anymore whether they were a Jew or a Samaritan. And this was an uncommon friendship caused because of a very common misfortune. Where they normally wouldn't have spoken, they speak. Where they normally wouldn't have lived life together. If you've ever seen videos of land where a river has just crested and began to flood, what's amazing is sometimes you will find animals sitting on a little plot of land trying to survive the flood. And normally, if you'd put those two animals in the same space, what would they have done? They would have attacked and killed each other. But in that moment, that's what had happened to these men. We don't know how many were Samaritan. We know at least one was. This disease had robbed them of life. And so what did they do? They do what only you can do whenever you get to that place where you realize that you're separated and you realize that there's no hope and you realize that that literally if God doesn't step in, if something doesn't change outside of you, you can't change it. But they had heard that there was a man named Jesus. They had no doubt heard the stories that this man, unlike everybody else, when everybody else walked the other way when they approached Jesus, no doubt they had already heard the stories earlier in the Gospels where he didn't walk away from them, but where he walked up to lepers. And he did what was unthinkable. Could you imagine what that felt like after all that time and he would say to them you're healed and the leprosy would be gone and you see those men when they heard Jesus was coming can you imagine what began to stir in their heart literally it says that when he entered the village there were ten leprous men who stood at a distance And they wanted nothing more than to meet Jesus. And as Jesus approached, they began to yell. Literally, where we get our English word for megaphone, that is the word there for crying out. In the Greek, our English word is megaphone. They were yelling to Jesus. And they were saying the only thing that we can say when we are in that kind of a desperate situation, they cried out and they asked for the thing that they needed the most. Lord, have what? Please have mercy on me. You see, these men didn't say, Jesus, you owe it to me. Jesus, I'm good enough. You should have never gave me this in the first place. If you're the son, I mean, none of that. No debating, no arguing. All you find is men sitting before the only one who can heal them. And they cried out. They screamed with all that they had left in their bodies, their frail bodies. They cried out to Jesus. And they said, not just Jesus, but what did they call him? Master. They knew that he was the only hope. Only because of Jesus had they heard of someone who had Hansen's disease. That they could be healed after so much had already decayed.
The beautiful thing about the Lord that we serve is that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, you know what it says? What does it say, church? They shall be saved. And it's one of the things that I love about Jesus the most is that when people cry to him, when people would call out to him, when people in their desperation would even never say a word like the woman who, who just grabbed onto him and literally he said, I felt power leave me. And he knew that someone through faith, trusting him, had just touched him. see, Jesus is the one who stands over Jerusalem, and you know what it says? That he recognized that his people were like sheep without a shepherd. They'd all gone astray, and rather than being angry, rather than being vengeful, rather than sitting up there and cursing them and, and denying them, you know what he did? It says that he stood over Jerusalem, and what did he do, church? He wept over Jerusalem. If you wonder how God feels about you in this room i don't care how diseased you are i don't care how broken you are i don't care about how far sin has taken you and how desperate you are when you cry out to god for mercy aren't you glad that he hears you and that he heals you that he weeps over you It doesn't stop there because we have that common misfortune that caused this uncommon friendship and we have this cry for help, for mercy. And praise God, we see a cure for their condition. Now, in this moment, the cure for their condition was the physical cure that they were seeking. They wanted to be healed of this leprosy. It had robbed them of everything, and it was about to rob them of their life. And as they cried out to Jesus for mercy, Jesus doesn't do what he did with the other ones. The other ones, if you remember, he walked up and touched them and told them that they were healed. And literally in that moment, they were. But he tells these men something different. He wants them to walk the only way people like us can walk with the Lord. That is by faith. That is trusting in his word. That is believing that what he says is true. Faith is trusting God, hearing his word, believing his word, acting on his word. And he set forth for this man like he did many times in the Old Testament. We think of Naaman in the Old Testament where literally God says to these men, because he was a leper too, and he gives them something to do to test their faith. Do you believe? And rather than healing them, you know what he says? He says, I want you to go to the priest and show yourself to him. Well, you see, he didn't have to say what that meant to them. They knew what that meant. A leper only went to the priest when he believed he was what? Healed. The priest would have never seen him. The priest would have never been near him. He would have never gone to the temple unless he believed that he was healed. And Jesus didn't heal him and then say, go. What did he say? I want you to just trust me and I want you to go. He told Naaman the same thing or something a little different. He said, I want you to go to the river and bathe yourself seven times in the river. And remember, Naaman's response was, this is stupid. What difference is that going to make? Thank God this man's and these men's hearts were a little bit different because they literally do what Jesus asked them to do. It says, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, what? 
they were healed. Folks, you've got to understand that many times that's exactly how Jesus is going to operate with us. As you trust me, as you believe me, sometimes we want the feelings that we have to jump in front of the faith that we have. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes we want God's answer before we give our, our, our God's cure before we give him our obedience. And it doesn't work that way. Now, what he is desiring for us is he wants us. Now, if he chooses to do things on the front end, understand, again, that's just grace. That's just mercy. These men were going to be given what they wanted, but Jesus says, you've got to walk by faith and you've got to go. And it says that as they were going, guess what? Can you imagine that moment? I don't know if it happened all at once, or I don't know if one of them suddenly, digits that weren't there suddenly were there. I mean, could you imagine that suddenly they start to see it in each other first, and then they look at themselves and they begin to realize that all that this disease had done to me, God is suddenly doing what? He's reversing him. He's restoring. That's the God that we serve. That's what our God does. Whatever the locusts have eaten, guess what? He can restore it. Whatever God has taken, he can multiply it. And we serve this amazing God that literally, as they are walking, they realize that their faith has made them well. And we almost wish the story would have ended right there. But that's not the lesson. That's not the only point of this story. There's a great lesson in Faith, trusting God, believing God, obeying God, whether you feel it or whether you don't. If you know what God's told you to do, just do it. If you know what he said, obey it. And let go of the reasoning and let go of the, all the, the things that you think you're going to do it for this reason or that reason. Or if God does this, out, no, just be obedient to the Lord. Have faith, believe him. The husband he tells you to be, be it. The wife he tells you to be, then be that. When he tells you about our children and how we raise them, don't argue. Don't, don't listen to 20 other voices. Listen to God's voice and obey God's voice and trust that when we do things his way, we're going to find the healing that we ask for. And these men found a cure for their condition. But in 15, the story takes a turn because it says now one of them. How many were there? There were 10. And it says that one of them, upon seeing what had happened, you know what the first response of a true believer is? Some of you may not like this this morning, but I'm going to tell it anyways. It's worship. Worship should be the primary position of our hearts every day of our life. Worship, even this gathering of believers, there are people that would try to say, I don't need to be part of the church body. No, God has called you to be part of the church body. And this is where we get to gather together and guess what we get to do week in and week out. This isn't for you, this is for God. 
We haven't lined up this service so that somehow we, we try to bless you or honor you or glorify you. We have done everything that we do today because we believe wholeheartedly that the God who heals us is the God who is worthy of our worship. And you see, you can think of a million reasons why that's not necessary today, tomorrow, next Sunday, next Wednesday. You can fill your schedule with anything and everything else. And what I'm telling you is that we have gotten to a place even within the church where we fail to understand that in many ways we show such a lack of gratitude because of a lack of seriousness about worship. It says one of them, when he saw what had happened and that he had been healed, he says that he turns back and guess what he does? He's determined to give God the one thing we were created to give him. What is it? Glory. You see, when we fail to worship, we fail to do the very thing that we were created to do, that we exist for His glory. And there are so many that just toss it aside. The issue is this, that when we look at the fact that this is a cause for worship, we've seen the cure for the condition. Now, that cure for the condition, what God has done in His mercy and grace, becomes the cause for worship and this thankful leper, this one, represents the fruit of saving faith, namely, that our lips give joyful thanks to God's name. Let me say that again. He represents what should be true in all of our lives, that the fruit of saving faith is that we have lips that give joyful thanks to God's name. Vague gratitude toward divinity is not enough. When I say, I mean, listen... Don't you know that in some ways those guys probably thought, thank you, God. I mean, anybody in the world can receive rain in a drought, and what can they say? Thank you, God. But then they just keep going about their way. And they keep living their life as if the one who healed them doesn't even exist. You see, the reason the one man went back is because he recognized who Jesus truly was. And he recognized that he needed to go back and fall at the feet of the one who saved him. And you see, we just have this notion, I just fill a seat, I just come and... And I sit down and, no, no, Jesus wants much more even than that. You see, don't miss what's part of this equation. A vague thanks to God isn't enough because our salvation, our healing, our hope is not found in some vague notion of God. Even the devil has a vague notion of God. But you know what was different to this man? He started to have an intimate understanding in relationship with God's Son, who is the only way to the Father. And you see, some of you here today, that's all you have is a vague relationship to God, a vague worship to God. You sing the songs, but you don't even hear what you're singing. You check off the spot that you've been here, and and you just go about your way. You live most of your life just consuming all that God is giving, never giving back to God. 
that which is his and that which he will use to change lives around the world. Folks, we have to remind ourselves that praise the Lord isn't just a slogan. It's not something nice to do. It is a command of God. And it is a, in my life and in your life, if it's not marked by frequent praise to God for his blessings, then I'm not being obedient to him. And in all of this, we see, lastly, a call to gratitude. You see, because this man, he fell on his face and gave thanks, even though he was a Samaritan. Jesus ends up calling him a foreigner. The only time it's used in the New Testament is right here, although in the Old Testament there's plenty of references to that idea and that thought, because the foreigner, if you remember, was the one who wasn't a Jew. The foreigner was the one who was referred to on the signs outside of the temple and outside of the tabernacle that said, basically, you can't enter in here because you are a foreigner. You don't know God. You don't have a covenant with God. And Jesus is amazed, and it gives us the implication that the other nine most likely were Jews. And he says, how is it that the other nine that should know who I am and what I've just done, that they have walked away and they have just kept living their life full of God's blessings. You know what I mean? People want God's blessings, pray for God's blessings. God gives those blessings. And then what do they do? They just walk away. And every once in a while, they just tip their hat toward God. And they think, well, God will be there next time I need him. Never fully committing themselves. Never fully glorifying him. Never fully worshiping him with all that they have. You see, because too often we can become content to enjoy the gift, but we never... Remember the giver. Spurgeon pointed out that while ten men prayed and asked something of God, only one praised God. He said that there are far more who are prone to pray in a time of need. Listen to this. There are far more prone to pray in a time of need than to praise God when he meets that. Church, we're quick to pray. We're slow to praise. Oswald Chambers, I think, zeroed in on what some of our issue is sometimes because he said the great difficulty spiritually. Now listen to this. The great difficulty spiritually is to concentrate on God and it's his blessings that make it difficult. Troubles nearly always make us look to God, but his blessings are apt to make us look elsewhere and and that is the condition of the american church we are so blessed church god has given us so much and you know what we do we take all the blessings and we just put him at the corner of our life god thank you for the nice cars god thank you for the boats god thank you for the beach houses god thank you for this and thank you for that and thank you for this and thank you for that and thank you for football and thank you for soccer and thank you for all these things and god has them in our life to bless us But in the end, the blessings become what we worship rather than the one who gave them. 
And we will put God aside in a second. And we will do other things in a second. And what seems to draw us to God are those times of need. And sometimes I think that's what America needs the worst. Is sometimes we need persecution. Sometimes we need to remember that above the entire world, we are blessed more than anybody could imagine. We will spend more in entertainment in a week than most people around the world will earn in a year. And we'll complain and say we don't have enough. But this man, he recognized what God had done for him. And I love the words of Jesus because this call to gratitude, understand that our gratitude is tied to our faith. And a man who has genuine saving faith is a man who gets gratitude and his life becomes consumed with the Savior. And I love the way Jesus said it because ultimately when you see there where he says, stand up, your faith has made you well. The most literal translation is stand up. Your faith has saved you. You see, the reality is one man in this story was saved while nine were still lost. Even though all were healed, it doesn't mean that all were saved. Even though God blesses so wonderfully, it doesn't mean for a second that all those that receive and take that blessing turn around and recognize where it even came from. see, for this man, his faith was the means not only of the cure, but the salvation that he so desperately needed. He walked away with the salvation that Jesus came to bring. The others, they received the physical. And see, let this sink in. They received the physical and they were satisfied. Most of us in this life, that's really what we pray about. That's really what we ask God for. Really, that's all that we want from him is, God, give us a physical blessing. God, bless us. Give us the money we need. Give us the things that we need. Give us the extras that we need. God, just bless me, and we forget. And we don't even recognize. I mean, you see it in our own prayers. Our prayers are usually asking, hardly ever praising. See, his gratitude and his worship were a sign that he had saving faith. So the question becomes, what about us? In our lives, do we find a saving faith that is determined to praise and follow God? God isn't talking here about salvation through disposition. The way we look and the smiles on it, that, that's not, he's not saying that at all. What he is saying is that saving faith Wherever it exists, there are profoundly grateful hearts. Praise to God is at the heart of our saving faith. As Kevin leads us this morning, I just want to ask you one simple question. Is there any chance that Jesus... If we would hear him today, 
that he would say of you and he would say of me? That he would ask of you and ask of me the same question that he asked on that day? Because you see, the most penetrating question was the question that Jesus asked. In verse 17, he said, Jesus answered and said, were there not ten that were cleansed? Were there not ten that were blessed? Were there not ten that were healed? Were there not ten that cried out for mercy and I blessed every one of them? But then the penetrating question, he said, but the nine, where are they? I wonder how many Sundays Jesus looks out over his church and says, where are they? When I mean Mondays, Jesus looks over your home and says, where are they? How many times he longs for you to sit in his word and he sits waiting to fellowship with you, to love you, to talk to you. How many times does he sit there waiting and how many times does he ask the question, where are they? See, church, this journey becomes with coming back to Jesus. The only one who can save us, the only one who can heal us, the only one that is worthy of our life. And so we give it all to him. You see, the way of salvation is open to all who call upon the Lord. But there are many who get the temporal benefits from the Lord and are still in danger of missing what they need the most, namely the salvation of their souls. And so today, I encourage you, ask yourself the question, would Jesus be the one saying your faith has made you whole? Or would Jesus be saying, where are you? Father, we thank you Lord, we thank you for your word. It penetrates. It's, it's convicting. It's, it's hard in ways, but Lord, in other ways, it's freeing. Because Lord, you ask us with such simplicity to, to live a life focused solely on you. We are so divided. We are torn a million directions from a million different people and a million different expectations. And Lord, how much simpler would our life be if we would just say, Lord, I just want to hear your voice. I just want to live my life for you. And Lord, I just want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't, I don't need anything but you, Lord Jesus. So today, there's probably some here that don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that today, they would place their faith on the one who went to the cross for our sins. Who died and was raised again. Promising us life. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today... They would receive you. And, and Lord, it's not just for people that have never been in church, Lord. There are people in this room. They've been in, their church, in this church for years and years and years. Lord, Steve Canton, next service, is an example of someone who can sit in a church and yet never fully surrender. 
But Lord, now he has. Lord, now he's come back to you and he said, Lord, thank you. And so, Lord Jesus, let our lives be the offering that shows our gratefulness, Lord. Let our lives be transformed by your power. Lord, today is a day for us to pray as a church, to figure out where we are, the one or the nine. Your faith has made you well, or where are you? Lord, what would you say to us in this moment? Don't let us leave until we've come to grips with the answer to that question. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.